Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and today I have with me Rena Van Alst. Hi Rena, how are you? Hi Amanda, how are you? I am doing very well. I want to start by telling our listeners a little bit about why you, Rena, are here today and why this episode and hopefully some future episodes are going to be a little bit different to the norm. Now, Rena is not only a colleague of mine, but also my friend, and she has been a mentor to me, particularly as I have built my strata experience and my strata contacts over the last 14 years or so. If you want to know a little bit more about my background and how I came to be working for Rena at 18 years old, you can have a listen to episode 35. And that is part of the presentation that I did to OCN members here in Sydney on the new Strata Law. And the first 10 minutes or so of that presentation gives everybody a bit of background on how I came to be in the Strata sector. And Rena plays a central role in that. So check that out. Rena has also been a previous guest on the show, episode two. Rena is a highly experienced and accomplished professional. She was previously the general manager and licensee in charge of Dynamic Property Services, one of the most respected strata management companies in Sydney, and she remains a board member of Strata Community Australia, New South Wales. Now, Rena this year is embarking upon her entrepreneurial journey. She has started her own strata management business, Strata Central, and you can find out a bit about Strata Central at the website stratacentral.com.au. And I know that Rena is filling what I think has been a gap and is a growing gap in the marketplace when it comes to strata management services. She is offering boutique, personalized, hands-on management. She's taking on very few buildings and I know that she's very fussy about who she takes on. So if you are interested in having a chat to Rena about management, get in touch with her very quickly because I know her portfolio is filling up. Okay, so let's get into the reasons why I'm telling you this episode is a little bit different. It is not unusual for me to telephone Rena and vice versa for Rena to call me. I know some of her team members in her former role would also give me a quick call with a strata question, a strata problem. Usually goes along the lines, hey, Amanda, have you come across this? Rena, I'm going to a meeting tonight. What do you think I should do in this circumstance? And it recently occurred to me that that is the kind of thing that you, our loyal listeners, would really get a lot out of, whether you are a manager, an owner, a committee member, just hearing about the day-to-day of what we're going through at the coalface of strata management and strata law, how we're resolving the frustrations that we face, as well as how we're achieving our wins too, being a fly on the wall to those kinds of conversations. So I've invited Rena to join me regularly on the show, hopefully maybe a couple of times a month so that we can do just that, have a conversation about our week in Strata and in the process, hopefully cover off some answers to questions you might have, offer some solutions to problems you might be facing and just give you what I hope will be an interesting behind the scenes insight into the Strata sector. 
Now, we are kicking this off as a bit of an experiment. Yes, it's a bit different to my usual format, and we want to know what you think. What do you think of this format? Rena and Amanda, in conversation, is it helpful to you? Do you want to hear more? We are going to be guided by you. So I'll remind you at the end of the episode as well to let us have your comments and we'd love to hear from you on some topics that you'd like us to have a chat about. Definitely shoot those through. So bear with us. We have set up a bit of a structure to these kinds of episodes and we will feel our way through for the first few, no doubt. The first thing I want to ask you, Rena, is how's your week been? Oh, it's been quite good, Amanda, actually, because I think now in sort of January runs on a holiday still and people are sort of getting back into the pace of life. School hasn't started yet. So yep. yeah, I've traffic's been good. Slowly. Yeah, slowly getting back into it, which has been a nice change from before Christmas. Yeah, I really love this time of the year for that exact reason. It's a little bit slower, especially in the legal industry where the courts are quiet, a lot of legal practices shut down, barristers are away, which sometimes is frustrating, but it also means that everybody's a little bit more relaxed. And it's a time when I know I clean out my office, I get my pile of papers scanned, do all sorts of life admin. So I've been enjoying that this week too. It's great. <laughs> okay. So, Rena, part of what we want to talk about in these episodes is what is frustrating us as strata sector stakeholders. Let me call us that. And there are things that frustrate us. There are things that we find incredibly rewarding. And I want to make sure that we cover off both of those. What has been frustrating you this last week? I think the question of development applications and the managing agent being asked to sign them is one of the very common pressures that I think a lot of managers have faced and I've faced this week. Mm. So the issue relates to when the DA is executed by the managing agent, even though a meeting is held, a committee meeting, if it's this is normally the first instrument by which we do discuss the DA. Mm. And what happened in this particular case was that the owner of a retail lot in a residential scheme, which is obviously the ground floor lot, usually are retail lots in these mixed-use schemes, they wanted to install a new sign to replace a previous sign that they had on the facade of the building. Mm-hmm. The facade of the building is common property. And I, of course, advised the um, chairperson and the committee that I wasn't able to sign the actual DA because there were amendment changes to common property. A bigger sign was going on the on the actual property and we needed to make sure that the lot owner would maintain and repair it, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, in this particular building, the chairperson is highly influenced by the retail lot wanting to sort of keep favour, I think, in this instance. And mm. so she said to me, Rena, no, we're not going to do that. You know, you're going to sign the document. And I said, well, I'm sorry, but I'm not able to sign it. I don't have the delegation. You can't give me that power. Mm-hmm. So what I suggested to them as a, a win in terms of trying to get the sign in, signage installed was to ensure that, that the um, chairperson or any other office bearer could sign the, the DA. Mm-hmm. But I also made a note to minute that the reasons that I would not sign it. So I actually put that in the minutes to make sure that mm. I was protected. Yes. I've actually had another case where it's a much bigger issue in another residential development where an owner was putting like a roof installation on their top floor balcony and that sort of went haywire and again I refused to sign it you know which was a good thing because then when the person installed it without the DA Mm. there was all hell broke loose yeah when you submit a DA to council they assume that you have received all the consents 
from the owner's corporation. They don't realise that a bylaw may be needed. So therefore, we've had instances historically where in the past, some of the managers that I used to work with would allow the agents will sign the DA on their behalf just to submit the DA to council to make sure if it was approved. A lot of owners don't want to go to the expense of a calling general meeting, having a bylaw drafted, yep. and then the owners' corporation declines their request. So they yep. want us to sign it. But then what happens is that the minute they've got the signed consent and it's been approved, then a lot of them just go ahead and do the work and don't come back for the bylaw. So that's yeah. why I think this policy, I think, holds managers in good stead when you say, no, we can't do that. Yeah, I agree with you 100% that the manager should not be executing the DA. And I like how you dealt with that situation in suggesting to the chairperson, hey, if you want to do this, then it's on you. You sign it, I'm not. And I think that's a good policy for for you to have. This issue of owners' corporations executing, and we say execute when we really mean affix the seal, sign. affix their common yeah. seal and have the person who is authorised to affix the seal sign the actual document. This issue comes up a lot and I get calls from strata managers asking me whether or not they can sign. And of course, I always say, it's not a matter for you to decide. You're under instruction from your owners' corporation and the committee should be dealing with that issue. But there is case law here in New South Wales to the effect that affixing a an owner's corporation's seal to a development application is a merely mechanical process that enables that lot owner then to submit the application. And it is not by affixing the seal, you are not giving your consent to the work. And as you rightly say, Rena, the work might require a bylaw because it is altering common property. It is changing the external appearance of the building. So by affixing the seal, you're not giving that approval under the Strata Schemes Management Act. What you're doing is allowing the lot owner to submit the document, the development application to council. And yes, that owner should be coming back and then getting the owner's corporation's approval for the work. But I see the frustration there as well that lot owners don't necessarily understand that. And they think once our development application is approved, we can go ahead and do it because council says we can, notwithstanding the owner's corporation hasn't approved it. And I've actually been in litigation in a very similar circumstance where the work has gone ahead when it didn't have a bylaw. So for my part, my advice to committees who are in that situation is that, yes, it is legal for the seal to be affixed as long as it's been properly signed by those who have the delegated authority, whether it's your strata manager or it's two members of your committee. But be very clear and do this in writing, both meeting minutes and in letters to the lot owner to say the fact that we are affixing this seal is not approving your work under the Strata Schemes Management Act. It is merely allowing you to submit the application. And I have seen some councils who then give development consents that have conditions attached, and those conditions include you must get the consent of the owner's corporation, and sometimes they're savvy enough to even say you must have a bylaw approved by the owner's corporation. And I appreciate, Rena, what you say. That doesn't always happen, but it should. But in this case, Amanda, what happened is that they actually have put the sign on. Yeah, they've gone ahead and done the work. The sign's gone up. Yeah. Yeah, so basically I think even though there's court cases that you're referring to that tell people that we're only going to allow you to put the seal to just to submit it, and we we had that historically Mm. using those a a letter attaching, you know, with the DA, but unfortunately people don't seem to understand or I think in this case didn't, in a sense, especially when you've got retail 
sort of interest, it makes it difficult because there's actually money attached to a business and therefore yes. any aspect of their business becomes urgent. So yeah. again. And then you have the relationship between the landlord and the tenant, of course, because it's often the tenant who's the one who wants to do the signage and is submitting the DA. Exactly. And that's the situation that I've been in recently and what the Owners Corporation actually did was went to the tribunal for an order that the work, although approved by council, had been done in breach of the Act. So that option is still available to Owners Corporations, but, you know, it's hard to put the milk back in the bottle, isn't it, once it's been spilled? Especially when there's a sign that's um, a huge sign that's um, facing a major road in the eastern suburbs. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so the win in that situation was that the scheme ended up signing the DA for the retail lot owner and the, the DA was submitted and approved and then the sign was installed. So the latter part of that signage is not the win in terms of there wasn't proper bottle that was passed, but mm. at least I gave them an alternative way of obtaining the same result without having to implicate myself as a managing agent where I really had no authority yep. to undertake the signing of the DA. Yeah, and I think that's the key here and it's something that I see less experienced players, and I'm talking about strata managers, get trapped up in, I know this is not legal or I know this is not authorised but I'm being told to do it and panicking and that's an awful situation to be in and I give advice to strata managers who call me with that panic to say hey you are a contractor of the owners corporation you take their instructions if they are instructing you to do something that is illegal you are well within your right to say no I'm not doing it and you can do it yourself the committee members can do it. The chairperson can do it. And it's something that all too often strata managers completely understandably in the heat of the moment forget about. So great reminder. Let me unload my frustration for this week. <laughs> and I know those in my office who might be listening know all about this because it's been a pretty hot one. In episode 40 of the podcast, I talked about what to do under the new New South Wales law when you want to enforce adjudicator's orders. So under the old law, if you had an order of the strata schemes adjudicator, for example, stop breaching the no hanging of washing on the balcony bylaw and the lot owner continued to breach that order, you would go to the tribunal and you would get a penalty order. Now that we no longer have a system of paper adjudications in New South Wales and there's no such thing as adjudicators, we all go straight to the tribunal to get orders. What happens when there is a breach of the tribunal's order? So the tribunal under the new law orders the lot owner to stop breaching the no hanging of washing on the balcony bylaw. The lot owner doesn't comply and you want to get a penalty order. Well, the New South Wales Civil and Administrative Tribunal Act says that the tribunal can issue a penalty up to $11,000 for an individual breach of a tribunal order. Now, we are in the situation where we have a building that obtained an order from the adjudicator under the old legislation, and the legislation now says that that old adjudicator's order should be treated as if it was a tribunal order, okay? So we go, fair enough, we want to go to the tribunal to enforce this order as if it was an order of the tribunal, we want a penalty of up to $11,000. When you look closely at the legislation, it seems that there is no way to make that application because it can only be made by an authorised official. 
And if you look at the definition of authorised official under the Civil and Administrative Tribunal Act, it is the minister or a person with the written consent of either the minister or another person authorised by the minister for that purpose. So, yeah, so we have written to the tribunal asking them how we make this application for a penalty order and they have said, hey, you're right, we don't really know. Why don't you write to Fair Trading? We have a good friend of our practice who is a barrister. We have run this past him. He has looked very closely at the legislation and he has said he doesn't know either. So we are now in the position of having to write to Fair Trading, cross our fingers and hope that somebody comes up with an answer. And I'm actually really happy that I can put this out on the podcast because if there are any legal practitioners or highly experienced strata professionals who might be listening to this and saying, Amanda, oh my gosh, you've completely missed the point. This is how you do it. Please contact me. I would love to know. And my clients would love to know as well. So how do you get penalty orders now under this new law? Looking at those relevant sections of the Civil and Administrative Tribunal Act, I would love to know. That is my frustration for the week. Any thoughts on that, Rena? <laughs> I hope that Michael Courtney is listening, Amanda, who's Maybe. from Fair Trading. Yes. yes. If Michael's listening, if you're out there listening to our little podcast today, can you let us know what Fair Trading's position is on Amanda's um, frustration? And, and it's quite a legitimate one when yeah. no one can really give you an answer. Yeah. And frustrating, of course, at the end of the day for the client who is sitting there wanting to enforce this bylaw, rather this order that has been obtained and the lot owner hasn't complied. And we, the lawyers who are supposed to know this stuff, can't make head nor tail of the legislation. So yes, Michael Courtney is a good suggestion. He's actually on my list to come on the podcast, Michael. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe you can ask him then, Amanda. (laughs) Yes. But um, anyway, I want to move on to a win. And my win, because I haven't resolved that penalty order issue yet, and hopefully I can come back to you, the listeners, and let you know the answer. I'm going to give you a win in a completely separate case that we had specifically this week. We uh, won a local court case for a lot owner who was being pursued and, and has been pursued for the last five years or so for unpaid levies. And it wasn't so much the unpaid levies that the owners corporation was after. It was the expenses incurred in attempting to recover those unpaid levies. So my client, the lot owner had paid up her levies. She had said, yep, you're right. I am overdue. I will pay up. And the owners corporation, as it is entitled to do under the Strata Schemes Management Act, then sought to recover its legal costs and expenses in having to get advice, file a statement of claim, appear in court in relation to those unpaid levies. Now, my client objected to that. She said, these expenses are far too high. They should never have been incurred because the unpaid levies had actually been paid by me and were incorrectly allocated to pay earlier expenses rather than pay levies. So I was actually up to date in my levies when I was being pursued. But most importantly, a lot of the costs were incurred in the federal court because the owners corporation had commenced bankruptcy proceedings against the lot owner. And those kinds of proceedings are quite expensive. There's a very high filing fee and barristers are usually involved. And what the owners corporation tried to do was claim the expenses of the federal court proceedings in the local court. So they'd gone back to the local court and reopened the earlier levy recovery proceedings so that they could claim their federal court costs. And specifically in this case that I ran, the magistrate said that is not allowed. You cannot claim federal court costs 
by reopening local court proceedings. And that hasn't been held before by the courts here in New South Wales uh, expressly. It's certainly been hinted at by the Court of Appeal in cases like Demetriou that we all rely on when we're talking about levy recovery. And whilst our local courts are a lower level jurisdiction court, it's interesting and of course a great win for this lot owner to get that kind of a judgment. We expect that there will be an appeal, so it'll be interesting to hear what a higher level court in New South Wales says about that. But this really was a great win for this long-suffering lot owner. And unfortunately, it seems that she has been in a building that handed this task over to its strata manager, I think. And the strata manager then, of course, briefed lawyers to run it. And nobody was really looking behind the scenes to the personal impact that this was having on this lot owner and whether in fact these proceedings could or should legitimately be pursued. So I know that she is feeling much more comfortable this week to have that reassurance from the court that she has been on the right track. So a great win for us this week that I am very happy to share with you. So I just want to add a few things, points to your winner, man, which is congratulations. That's a really good outcome for your lot owner. Thank you. I think the main areas that managing agents need to be aware of is when most of our software will always allocate any payments to the oldest debt on the actual ledger of, of the owner. Mm. So that is why I think in your case, Amanda, you were saying that she said she'd paid her levies and they were using the levies to pay other expenses and, mm. and interest. So I think that own, lot owners moving forward that are listening to, to this podcast should remember that if there is a dispute with your owner's corporation about your levies, you need to let the managing agent know that you want your levy allocated only to the levies and interest and not any expenses yep. so that your your levies are always being paid and up to date on the ledger. Yeah. And so just to ask you another question, Amanda, about your case. So why did they bring it back from the federal court then back to the local court? Did she then pay and they just then withdrew it or how yeah. did it happen? So what's happened um, under the old law, which this case was run under, Section 80 of the Act says that your expenses of levy recovery need to be recovered together with, it uses the word together with the unpaid levies. And the Court of Appeal here in New South Wales has held that to mean that you can only recover expenses in the same proceedings as you are recovering levies. Now, what we do when we're acting for owners' corporations and we're filing statements of claim and we're getting judgments, we seek an order as part of that judgment that we are at liberty to return to the court and reopen the proceedings to claim any additional expenses that might arise when we're trying to enforce the judgment. So the owners' corporation in this case obtained that judgment for unpaid levies and they also got an order and it was some three years ago the judgment was entered. They also got an order that if there are additional costs of enforcement, they can come back and they can reopen the case in the local court and get a further judgment for those additional expenses. So they went off and they said to the lot owner, here's the judgment, you need to pay. She was late in paying. They issued a bankruptcy notice. They ended up in the federal court. They're incurring all of these extra expenses. She eventually pays up and they say, oh, by the way, we've now got 10 grand that we have incurred trying to chase you. We Mm. want that paid too. She doesn't pay it. So they go back to the local court. They rely on that earlier order. You Judgment. Oh. That's right. You are permitted to reopen these proceedings to claim expenses. 
They did that, but this local court magistrate said, no, you're trying to claim expenses that you incurred in the federal court. That's a completely different jurisdiction. It's not as if you were just sending letters and and emails and trying to track down this owner to enforce the judgment and get her to pay. You actually commenced separate proceedings. You incurred additional legal costs in the federal court. You can't come back here and ask me for an order that they be paid. They are different proceedings. And that's really interesting. I think it's right. I think it's the the right decision. But assuming it's upheld under appeal, if there is an appeal, it's going to change the way we deal with levy recovery, how plaintiffs, owners' corporations, deal with levy recovery in the local court. Now, I have to say that the section under the new Act here in New South Wales, uses some different wording. It doesn't have that together with wording. So we have yet to see how those cases will run, but they may run a little bit differently. We might have solved some of those problems. But yeah, interesting for anybody who is involved in either doing that work or lot owners at the moment who are involved in recovery proceedings. I probably get I would say two or three calls a month from lot owners who are unhappy about the way that their owner's corporation or their strata manager is dealing with levy recovery because they say, hey, I've paid up. I paid up three months ago and now there's another charge on my account and it's expenses or it's interest. And they don't understand how they can ever get in front if owner's corporations are permitted to do that, to put those additional amounts on the ledger if, as far as the lot owner is concerned, they've paid up to date. So a lot of interest in that topic. Mm, yeah, it's a very hot one, I think, Amanda, because, uh, I mean, all owners have to pay levies and from time to time people face situations where they can't pay on time. So, mm. yeah, it's, congratulations on that win again. Yes, thank you. Okay, so thank you so much for joining us, Rena. Thank you, Amanda. And I really look forward to doing this regularly. I hope our listeners are enjoying it. I know I certainly am. Me too. (laughs) So do let us know what you think of Rena and Amanda in conversation. If you want us to discuss a topic in particular, whether it's something of concern to you as a manager, an owner, a committee member, let us know. You can email me directly, amanda at yourstrataproperty.com.au or leave a comment in the show notes to this episode, which you'll find this episode and all our other episodes, yourstrataproperty.com.au slash podcast. So can't wait to hear from you and I shall see you soon, Rena. Thank you, Amanda. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? 